Good morning. If you're a visitor joining us today, you are really welcome. My name's Raj. We hope you've enjoyed the carol singing and the mince pies and the friendship if, you've had a, uh, if you came a little bit earlier so far. Who's excited about Christmas? Whoa, God, more than last year. Last year, I think only one of you put your hand up. That's encouraging. I'm really excited about Christmas. Very excited. Uh, in fact, I've opened all of our Christmas crackers all by myself and kept all the toys. Well, hey, and that's only because Jesh, Jemima and Joy put the Christmas tree up all by themselves without me this year. Boo! So anyway, here's a few... This is the point. Here's a few jokes I found in the Christmas crackers. You know how good I am at telling jokes. Rubbish. Anyhow, here we go. How is the alphabet different on Christmas Day than any other day? Because on Christmas Day there's no L. I thought that was like really original. Right, I'm not even going to, I'm going to get, I'm going to beat you before you get in this time. Next one, they're going to get worse. What do you call an elf who has just won three million pounds on the national lottery? Wealthy, yeah. Great, one more, one more. Um, What did Mrs. Claus say to Santa Claus when she looked up into the Christmas sky? Santa baby. It looks like rain, dear. Thank you. Okay, enough. It's stop, stop laughing. It's time to be serious. We're in church. Come on, calm down. Wake up. What or who is Christmas all about? Jesus. Jesus. Anybody else? Jesus. Jesus. We're very original. Jesus. Oh, no, it isn't. Oh, stop it. Look, throughout this whole time of Advent, I've been paying close attention to, Christmas, what, to what Christmas really means. I have. I've been doing my research. I've been to Morrison's. I've been to Aldi. I've been browsing through the windows, the Christmas windows at Teesside Park. I've been watching the telly and reading the Daily Mirror. I've been to Joy's Nativity with Aliens. I've been paying attention to the lyrics on my Amazon Music Christmas playlist. It's been hard work, this research, but it's an important question, isn't it? And do you know what? Finally, after 21 years of being a Christian, I now have the truth. Drum roll. Christmas, folks, is, wait for it, about Brussels sprouts. And bread sauce and cranberries. Just don't, don't listen to what the guy said earlier. It's about turkeys, isn't it? It's about baubles and trees and Santa Claus. And if you read very, very carefully, now truly in touch with the world's culture, the culture today, this year is a very special Christmas. Why? Because this Christmas is mainly about the last, last, last ever, allegedly, Star Wars saga. The rise of Skywalker. (laughs) But 
probably the most important of all, top of the pops reason for Christmas, particularly if you listen to the conversations at my house with three kids, is Christmas presents. In fact, I know Gavin said a few weeks ago that, you're, that you shouldn't try and look clever by using Greek words. But for those of you who don't know, the Greek word Christ in our word Christmas actually translated literally means Christmas presents with snowy wrapping paper. <laughs> Genius. So there you go, everyone. The true, glorious, uplifting, delightful meaning, joyful meaning of Christmas. You can all go home now because you feel good, don't you? Question. Have we really reduced the magnitude and wonder of Christmas to just these things? Have we lost something in doing so? What, what, and this is what I really want to talk about this morning, is what are the real gifts that the Christmas story really offers, offers us? I want to suggest to you, actually, three Christmas presents. I've entitled this morning's talk, Christmas presents, but I want to suggest to you three surprising, slightly unusual Christmas presents that bring the glory of Christmas back into our lives. Some of them you'll find surprising. But first, some of my friends are going to tell you about what happened in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago. It's my favorite. They're reading from my favorite Bible translation, the Jesus Storybook Bible, Roll Film. It was time. God's plan to help his people was about to begin. Just as he promised he would. How would God come? What would he be like? A big red carpet entrance? Maybe. Like at the Oscars? Not this good. You wouldn't believe it when everything remained silent. When no one was looking, quietly he arrived. This baby was different. Out of nowhere, to a young unmarried girl, a great light appeared, the angel Gabriel. Mary was scared stiff. But Gabriel said to her, you don't need to be frightened. Dad's very happy with you. Mary, you are going to have a baby, a little boy, God's own son. And you will call him Jesus. He's the one, he's the rescuer. God, the maker of the whole universe, is going to make himself small. As a little baby. For me and for you. God! Said Mary. This is wonderful, but how can it be true? Nothing impossible for God, said Gabriel. And so Mary decided to trust God, and she believed. Whatever God says, I will do. Sure enough, just as the angel had said, nine months later, Mary was almost ready to have her baby. Now... At this time, Mary and Joseph had to go on a long journey to Bethlehem. The same town with King David was from. When they got there, everywhere was chocker. There weren't any rooms left. Where were they going to stay? This baby was going to be here soon. Yikes! Finally, they found somewhere in an old stable with the cows and donkeys. And it was there, in the middle of the night, when everyone else was sleeping, that Jesus was born. <clears throat> God 
precious gift, his very own son, wrapped in a blanket and lying in a manger, here to save us all. Emmanuel, which means God has come to live with us. And amazingly, of course, he had. Well done, Jubilee. So what are these gifts uh, of Christmas? Let's start unwrapping them, shall we? Firstly, first Christmas gift, firstly, Christmas brings tension and strife. Hands up, who wants that one? Who's already stressed about Christmas? The story of this baby in a manger is one of high drama, stress, persecution, running and fleeing for Joseph and Mary and Jesus' life. It's a story actually centered around one very powerful man's feelings of hatred and threat towards a coming king. A man called Herod who eventually orders the slaughter of all boys two and under in hope of getting rid of this Christmas baby. This is a true historical story. This happened not very nice. You don't see that on your Christmas cards, do you? Listen, strife and tension and suffering is what happens to lesser and greater degrees when Jesus comes into your life. We didn't tell you that on Alpha, did we? On the one hand, you see, there's great peace, isn't there? But on the other hand, when you put your trust in Jesus, when you choose to follow him faithfully, Follow him, come what may. There's a new fight. Let me give you a few examples, different kinds of examples. Firstly, there's the vulnerability and closeness of being fully part of a church community. Like this. Jesus calls us to that. It's not optional, actually. Uh, there are no lone range of Christians in the early church. Our present, it's all about me, individualistic, self-absorbed world, would tell you otherwise, keep yourself to yourself. My home is my castle. Don't mix with that sort. They're not like us. Keep your faith private. But that's actually how it's not meant to be. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest command. And the second isn't less than it. It's like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. As Christians, we give ourselves to each other and to those around us. We make ourselves truly vulnerable. We share. We're generous. We're authentic. We invest. We pour out our lives into our neighbors, into black, white, old, young, from all walks of life, from all backgrounds, from all lifestyles. That's the church. That's what makes it so wonderful. That's what makes it so attractive. That's what makes it so hard. Hard. This love for others is why Sarush manages with a team of amazing people across Teesside, manages Food Bank. It's why John and Sue founded the Hope Foundation, um, caring and supporting for some of the most disadvantaged and marginalized people in Teesside. It's why we house uh, that excellent charity, Save Families for Children. It's why we put on sparklers, football, alpha, foundations, freedom in Christ, community groups, and so on. The church isn't just a Sunday morning activity. Church is you together engaging in a world that needs Christ's hope and truth. And that is costly. 
What other tensions do this Christmas baby bring? Well, unfortunately, and this is very close to home in this church, where we welcome many asylum seekers and refugees, where we love to share the message of Jesus with our friends and family and others around, knowing Jesus means, for some of us, serious persecution, insults and suffering. That's the deal as a believer. Jesus said, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. I can't answer all the questions about suffering. Suffering is such a complex thing in this day and age and persecution. But I do know that in that suffering, in that persecution, Jesus never leaves us. That he is good and somehow he is working that goodness into us for the sake, for our sakes, for the sake of humanity's transformation and somehow for his glory. We might not see it all the time. I don't always see it all the time. It might cause us to question the very nature of God sometimes. But I know he is faithful and true. Another tension. Jesus brings an inner strife. An inner battle, doesn't he? When you put your trust in Jesus, what never bothered you before, bothers you now. Jesus changes our conscience, and through that, he changes you. In fact, before I became Christian, I used to brag about how plastered I got on weekends. I used to brag about all the unhelpful things that I got up to. But now, there's strife. I have a new spirit living in me, drawing me away, telling me and fighting against my fleshly world desires. There's a battle, there's a war. God the Holy Spirit is working in me through confession, repentance and faith. The Apostle Paul tells us, for the flesh desires what is contrary to God the Holy Spirit and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want to do. God knows what's really good for us. God transforms us through these inner battles. As the psalmist cries out in 51.10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. These tensions, these hardships, Jubilee, can be real gifts to us as we encounter Jesus more and more in and through them, even suffering, even hardship, especially suffering. Christ in us, the hope of glory. If you're not a Christian here this morning, Jesus can transform you. Why don't you take one of these leaflets and put it in your diary and remember to come to Alpha. First gift we've had. Second gift, Christmas brings Emmanuel, God with us. That's what it means. That's what we heard, didn't we, Uh, from those guys on the film. On the 12th of April, 1961, Yuri Gagarin, a Russian cosmonaut, astronaut, uh, became the first man into space. And at that time, Nikita Khrushchev, he was the president, the premier of Russia, he said, in Russia, we are officially atheists. And we have now even more evidence for that atheism because we sent a man into the heavens in a rocket and there was no God there. And C.S. Lewis, the writer of the Narnia books, who was alive at the time, 
um, responded to this article in, 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 uh, in an article called The Seeing Eye. And in it, he argued that if you were looking for your creator God, going up to space wasn't the way to find him. In fact, he said that, in fact, he said that would be like Hamlet or Lady Macbeth. These are famous Shakespeare characters. Uh, it would be like Hamlet or Lady Macbeth going up into the attic of his or her castle to search for their author and creator Shakespeare. Where is he? That would be absurd. That's not how Hamlet and Lady Macbeth would find Shakespeare. This is what C.S. Lewis actually wrote. If there is a God, he wouldn't be another object in the universe that could be put in a lab and analyzed with empirical methods. He would relate to us the way a playwright relates to the the characters in his play. We, the characters, might be able to know quite a lot about the playwright, but only to the degree the author chooses to put information about himself in the play. Hold on to that thought for a minute. Dorothy L. Sayers, a Christian, she was a Christian lady, but she was also a crime writer, was one of the first women to have ever graduated from Oxford. She was a writer of mystery detective stories. She'd often, she'd often described herself as not that good looking. Her most famous character was the debonair British gentleman, Lord Peter Wimsey, who was a detective in his spare time. In her earlier books, Lord Peter Wimsey was a single man, a bit of a ladies' man, actually, but lonely. In the middle of all these novels and short stories, however, suddenly a woman appears in the novels called Harriet Vane. And in the stories to come, Harriet is described as not particularly good-looking. She's actually one of the first women to have ever graduated from Oxford. She's a writer of detective fiction. Peter and she meet, solve a couple of mysteries together, and then they fall in love and live happily ever after. And many people have said that Dorothy L. Sayers looked into the world she created, looked at the man she created, fell in love with him so much so, that she wrote herself into the story. That's sweet, isn't it? That's quite moving. But do you know what? It's just make-believe. It's not real. But hear this, and we've heard it already. Christmas is about God actually doing that. Emmanuel. This name given to Jesus by the angels means God with us. God has come to dwell with us. God has written himself into the play of humanity. Your life, my life. In a world full of loneliness, in a country where we even have a government minister for loneliness, where where humanity is searching for the loneliness cure in all the wrong places, unhelpful romances and one-night stands, relentlessly trying to climb the ladder of success, pornography, social media, gangs, teenage pregnancies, God has come to the rescue, friends. Emmanuel, God is with us. From kingly majesty and honor in heaven to being an infant who trips up, grazes his knees, vomits, and soils his nappy. Jabber and Alice will know about that. From the everlasting intimacy of his father to facing temptations of all kinds, misunderstanding, bereavement, and rejection. He moves from the throne room of heaven to a cross, 
barely recognizable, with welts on his face, ripped flesh across his chest and back, mocked, abandoned, denied, betrayed, humiliated, shouldering the wrath of God for all of our lies and lusts and pride and envy and greed, totally alone, totally forsaken, like never before, for you and for me. That's phenomenal. When I talk to some of my Muslim brothers and sisters and good friends, actually, they are horrified at this fact when I talk to them about it. How can God lower himself so much to come as a baby to a poor uh, family lying in a feeding trough? How can God be crucified? No way God wouldn't do that. My Muslim friends have a high, high, high regard for, and respect for God. It's a good question to which I usually respond with a little illustration, which I found really helpful over the years, because I had a problem with this. Suppose I was on my way to a wedding ceremony, and I was running late, and I was dressed up. You've got to have a big degree of imagination for this. But I was dressed up in my best tuxedo, white shirt, smart waistcoat, dicky bow. It was my most expensive and best and beautiful outfit. And as I was traveling to the wedding, I saw that my daughter, Jemima, had fallen into a deep, muddy river. She was sinking in. She was shouting for help. What would I do? Would I say, I can't ruin this beautiful suit, Jemima. Keep paddling. (laughs) Or maybe I'd get someone else to jump in for me. Simon, you get her. Or maybe, or maybe I would try something else. I wouldn't, would I? Of course I wouldn't. My love for her is so much that I would jump in without a care in the world for my suit, my appearance, my dignity, whatever. You would too. We all would, wouldn't we? My Muslim friend would too. And then I'd explain, if a mere human being can go to such lengths to save their daughter... How much more would a majestic God of infinite love and mercy and glory do that for me? And you and all of his creation. Is that so unusual to expect God to do that? In fact, a God who wouldn't do that would cause greater concern for me. Emmanuel, God has done it. God is with us. He is our big gift at Christmas. The Christ of Christmas. Finally, our third gift. The third gift. In the famous carol that we've just sang sang there, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, we read or we sang out, Hark the Herald Angels Sing, Glory to the newborn King, Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. Christmas is about peace, isn't it? Jesus was foretold as the one who would come as the Prince of Peace by Isaiah 400 years before. When we think of peace, we might look at it from its very least low meaning. A ceasefire maybe, or a lack of fighting, or a bit of peace and quiet. But the Hebrew word for peace, shalom, is a much bigger idea. Shalom is a giant idea. It's a, it's a wholeness, a flourishing, a harmony, a completeness in God. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners, one reconciled. Friends, Christmas is offering so much more 
than we're asking of Christmas. There's a story in the Bible about four friends who bring their paralyzed friend to Jesus. And fascinatingly, Jesus, on seeing this man who clearly can't walk and is desperately seeking healing, he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. That's an unusual thing to say then as it is now, isn't it? As far as the paralyzed man was concerned, his sins didn't need forgiving. His legs needed healing. And actually, Jesus does heal his legs. But first he says, Son, your sins are forgiven. What's going on? I'll tell you. You see, Jesus sees the bigger, bigger problem in this man's life. Jesus sees that happiness, that shalom word, peace for this man is much bigger than just healing his disability. Jesus sees into the depths, the bigger depths of his brokenness and helpfulness, actually more than he can. He's saying by just asking for your body to be healed, you're not going deep enough. He's saying if you want real, everlasting, unbreakable happiness, joy, rejoicing, if you want real joy and hope, you need much more than temporary healing. Hear this, you need to change the very thing that your heart most wants. You need to change the very thing that your heart most wants. Friendship with God. God and sinners reconciled. That's very profound. We can chase after all these passing pleasures in life. Well-being, fitness, money, sex, ambition, Nike trainers in our house, stardom, fame, 10,000 likes on Facebook or YouTube, qualifications, you name it. We're chasing after these things all the time. But, and some of these things are good, but when we make them ultimate things, they take us away from the great giver. You need to change the very thing that your heart most wants. Friendship with God. And Jesus says sin, a term we don't really like uh, in our culture, because probably because we don't really understand what it means. But Jesus says sin is putting those other things before God. Actually, it's bigger than that. It's, it's a heart in rebellion towards God. But God's desire is for friendship with his sons and daughters, you and me. He wants us to live right and sin, our, uh, and sin, our rebellion, our pride, our dishonor, our, our disregard, our disobedience towards, disobedience towards God is a great barrier to us and God. That joy-bringing life, that beautiful relationship that changes friendship with God. And so God, in essence, says to this paralyzed man, I'm not just going to grant you your deepest wish, I'm actually going to grant you my deepest wish first. Son, your sins are forgiven. A wish and desire that flows from my desperate love for you. I'm going to break through that barrier. I'm going to heal your soul, not just your legs. Your sin and shame and guilt and condemnation will never be a wall between us again anymore. I love you that much. That's what Jesus is saying. And sin just doesn't disappear into thin air, does it? It has consequences. And on the cross, Jesus took those consequences into his very soul so that we wouldn't have to. That's the joy message of Christmas. That's the joy news of Jesus. Listen, if, you, if you're not a Christian, Jesus wants friendship with you. He wants to show you the love of God. And on the cross, 
he has already done that, ripped large. He is the answer to all our strife and tension and suffering. He is the God who broke through the heavens uh, to be with you and me. On the cross, he is the mediator that allows us to become friends with God, close, intimate, loving relationship. In his resurrection, there is joy everlasting, new life, new starts, a life with purpose and meaning. Why would you not want that? Isn't that the greatest gift of all? There's so much more to Christmas than we can ever imagine, folks. I'm going to read um, uh, a poem by John Betjeman, and it's entitled Christmas. It's got, a funny few, it's, got a, it's got a few funny words, so you've got to bear with me. Christmas by John Betjeman. The bells of waiting advent ring. The tortoise stove is lit again. And lamp oil light across the night has caught the streaks of winter rain. In many a stained glass window sheen, from Crimson Lake to Hooker's Green. The holly in the windy hedge and round the manor house the yew will soon be stripped to the deck, to deck the ledge, the altar font and arch and pew. So that villagers can say, the church looks nice on Christmas Day. Provincial public houses blaze. Corporation tram cards clang. On lighted tenements I gaze where paper decorations hang and bunting in the red town hall says Merry Christmas to you all. And London shops on Christmas Eve are strung with silver bells and flowers as hurrying clerks the city leave to pigeon-haunted classic towers and marbled clouds go scudding by the many steeple London sky. The girls in slacks remember Dad, and oafish louts remember Mum. The sleepless children's hearts are glad, and Christmas morning bells say, Come, even to the shining ones who dwell safe in the Dorchester Hotel. And is it true, the most tremendous tale of all, seen in a stained glass window's hue, a baby in an ox's stall? The maker of the stars and sea become a child on earth for me? And is it true, for if it is, no loving fingers tying strings around those tissued fripperies, the sweet and silly Christmas things, bath salt and inexpensive scent and hideous tie so kindly meant, no love that in a family dwells, no caroling in frosty air, nor all the steeple-shaking bells can with this single truth compare. That God was man in Palestine and lives today in bread and wine. Let's stand. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are good. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you showed your love, us, love to us. You came as a baby. You grew up. You took our sins on your shoulders and you set us free. And we pray, Holy Spirit, this Christmas is much bigger than the Christmases gone before. We pray, Lord, for those who don't know Jesus here this morning. We pray, Lord, that they too will come and know this glorious baby who changes lives. My life Lots of lives in this room. The great rescuer. The one who promises hope eternal. We ask that in Jesus' name.